Hi guys and welcome back to Adira the podcast. With me again today, my wonderful friends Devon in America and Eddie in South Africa. Hi! Hi everyone! And tonight we have a quite special guest again from Australia. Um, hi Danielle! Hello! So Danielle, we met um, Mel actually. She messaged me the other day saying, hey listen, I have a friend. She has an incredible story to share. She would be a perfect fit for your podcast. So what is your story? So um, I was diagnosed with um, stage 3C ovarian cancer in 2015. Um, I was 27 at the time. Um, my son was seven and my daughter had just turned four a week prior to being diagnosed. Um, at the time, I was given six weeks to live, so it was pretty pretty massive I didn't I actually went in they thought I had appendicitis so I went into surgery to have my appendix removed I had been suffering pain in um, my right hand side for like my right lower abdomen for a few days and went in to have my appendix removed and um, a 45 minute surgery turned into like a four hour surgery because when they went in and opened me up it was just it was everywhere so um they brought me back out of surgery um, and then there was no one at the hospital that wanted to, you know, they didn't think that I was, I wouldn't say worthy of the surgery, but they didn't think that giving me surgery or chemotherapy would have made a difference um, to the outcome that I was going to have anyway. But I met one doctor there. Um, his, na his name is um, Ken Jarback and he's from South Africa. And um, he's the most amazing man I've ever met in my life. And he said to me, I've got children um, at home the same age as yours and I can't let you walk out of this hospital um, without, you know, without trying, at least trying to. So had a lot of tests, a lot of scans, some testing done. And then I had a 14-hour operation a month after my diagnosis. Um, so it's called a debulking surgery where they go in. So I don't know if you guys can see, but I've got a scar from my, oh, wow. yeah. my chest cavity and that goes right down to about my pubic bone. So I had a radical hysterectomy, which involves um, so tubes, ovaries, uterus, cervix. Um, they created a new opening to my vagina internally because like the opening at my cervix was like had cancer all around it. Um, I had a small and large bowel resection, my liver resected, my bladder dissected. Uh, my lung was collapsed during surgery because there was a um, tumor behind it. They shaved my, they shaved my diaphragm. Um, they removed the fatty tissue and the fatty lining of my stomach. So virtually the only organs that were untouched were my lung. Or, well, I had like the lung collapse, but they didn't have cancer was my lungs, my heart and my kidneys. Wow. Okay. So um, I went to ICU for five days after that. And then I was in hospital for, uh, I think, about two weeks. And then uh, and about 12 weeks after that surgery, I started chemotherapy. So I had 18 weeks of weekly chemotherapy. Um, lost all my hair. was pretty pretty brutal chemo. Um, I was and then I was in remission for 14 months and um, 
I was diagnosed the second time, same type of cancer, like came back again. Um, so they say that um, ovarian cancer, most women only have a 30% chance of survival five years after diagnosis because it's just it's a really nasty, you know, it just keeps, although they've got treatments for it, it just keeps outsmarting the treatments and coming back and coming back. Um, so I then went, I live in Newcastle, so um, which is about four hours from Sydney. I had to go down to Sydney for a um, surgery down there. So that was a 10 and a half hour surgery. So that was pretty much they did the same, same operation. Um, it was just a little bit more in depth the second time around. And then um, they give me what they call high-pet chemotherapy. So it's a heated chemo. And they, while they've got you open on the operating table, they pour it directly into your abdomen as they know that good cells die at 43 degrees and bad cells die at 42, I think, something like that. And um, so there's like a really fine line that they can walk with this chemotherapy, but they heat it up and they put it inside your abdomen. So it goes directly to the tumor. They leave it in for an hour. They call it a chemo bath. They leave it in for an hour and a half and then they, they drain it out, stitch it back up, and then, like, you go to ICU. But, um, like, when the doctors and the nurses and stuff come in, they're all in their, like, PPE because the um, body expels the chemo, like, out of your pores and stuff like that. Um, so, like, that was really hard because, like, my family, you know, like, they couldn't, like, although they could be there, they couldn't actually physically touch me or anything like that. Um, so, I was down in Sydney for about three weeks and, you know, that was massive because I was away from the kids. Um, my husband at the time, he stayed down in Sydney with me. My brother and sister-in-law had the kids at, um, like, back at home. And then I was in remission for almost four years and I was diagnosed again in um, April of this year. So um, I had another surgery in May, which is the one on my side. I had a um, tumour removed from above my left kidney and um, I'm just on some oral medication um, at the moment. Um, trying to keep it at bay because they don't want to use chemo. If they don't have to right now, they want to try and keep that for further down the track because the more times they give you chemo, the less likely it is to work. Yeah. So um, that's kind of where I'm at at the moment. So, yeah. That's so seven surgeries in six years. How are you holding up emotionally with all that? Because, I mean, you're a mom with two kids. That This must be just... Yeah. So um, I think they're my driving force, really. Um, you know, they give me reason to get up every day. Um, but after the um, after my first diagnosis, I mean, I still do suffer depression and anxiety, but I went into a really deep, dark depression after my first diagnosis. Um, I just didn't want to get out of bed. I mean, I was quite physically sick as well as mentally sick. And then I sort of like after I come home from hospital, I would just like lay in my room in dark room and um, the kids would come in and like, you know, it's not that I didn't want to be around them, but I didn't want them to have to see me mm -hmm. like that. And it wasn't until one day and uh, Cruz, my son, he was seven at the time and he come in and he said to me, he brought me this little, um, this little koala bear home from school, this little teddy bear home from school. And he said to me, mum, I've got you a present to make you feel better. 
and he gave it to me and he's like mommy can you please just get up can you please just come out into the lounge room like we want to you know we don't want you to stay in here anymore we want you to get better and I guess that sort of like flicked a switch that like I've got to fight to live for these kids yeah because you know I'm all they've got I mean although they've got their dad and you know, nan and grandma and whatnot, nothing ever compares to your mum. No, obviously, yeah. So, And I think yeah. it's also, you know, when, when you've got young kids especially, they understand that you are sick, but thankfully they don't understand how dire the situation is yeah. at that time. And their innocence is what really hypes you to want to fight and to want to pull through with everything that you've got. Yeah. Do you have other support at home um, with you while you're going through this? Um, the first two times that I was diagnosed, I did. Um, like I had my husband who was extremely supportive. Um, I couldn't have asked for better than what he was at the time. Um, this time, no. So we separated in February, um, which was pretty brutal in itself. Um, he went to work one Thursday and rang and said that he wasn't coming home. And um, then a week later, he had moved in across the road with the neighbour and her two kids. Oh, wow. Oh, my God. So he's still yeah. still living next to you, basically, right? Uh, so I moved about two weeks ago, but up until then, yeah, he was literally, I would walk out my front door and see their house. Oh, so, mm. yeah. Okay. So, yeah. Um, are, you, are you getting any um, support through psychologists or, you know, like a prayer group or something? That, yeah, that... so, yeah, I um, see a psychologist. I've seen her since I was diagnosed in 2015. Um, she's absolutely worth her weight in gold. Um, she's amazing. Um, I see her maybe once a fortnight, sometimes more regularly. Depends on how my mental health is. Sometimes I can go, you know, maybe every six weeks, like just we sort of play it, play it by ear and like just where I'm sort of at, how regular I see her. But if I'm too sick to go, she does, she, she does house visits. Um, she's got a really good relationship with the kids. Like my daughter walked into my room last night and said to me, oh, mum, you know who I haven't seen for ages? And I'm like, oh, who? And she's like, Kath. And I'm like, oh, yeah. So, like, you know, she's like, she's just kind of like part of the family. So, which is really good because the kids are like, they open up. They like, it's not like they're talking to a doctor or, you know. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, she's amazing. So, you, you talk about the kids, obviously, they're growing older. So, they saw you go through this process. How is it for them? So, Ella's very, um, Ella takes everything in a stride. She's very easy, calm, easy go. Cruz is a bit more of a sensitive soul. So I think out of both of them, he takes it the hardest. And also he's almost 14. So he, you know, each time I've been sick, he's understand, he's understood just that little bit more. And um, so I remember the second time I got sick, he was, I think, around 10. And um, he said to me, are you going to die, mummy? And, you know, how, like, how do you answer that? Because I can't say no, because I, oh. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. He's, he's probably my biggest worry about if something happens to me. I mean, I, I know that Ella would be heartbroken and she would obviously miss me and whatnot, but Ella's just the type of kid that 
life goes on where Cruz, he's just, just something special. Like, no, it sounds really like, I don't love them any different, but he's just got that soft soul, that special soul. And he's just a really lovable kid. And, yeah. you know, I worry. Um, and then everything that's happened with my, like my husband and, you know, like he's not having, or the kids don't want anything to do with him as they've seen what he's done to us. And I just think if something happens to me, what happens to them Yeah. now? But I've got really supportive family. My brother and sister-in-law are amazing. My ex-husband's mum and stepdad, like they're still really supportive. So, you know, just. Crazy. Like, I mean, I see the tattoo that you have on your arm. Survivor. 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 Yeah. Um, if someone is a survivor, I would say it's obviously you. Like, I cannot imagine going through half of what you went through. And I mean, you're still going. It's You just restarted that process, actually. Yeah. Um, what I wanted to know is, so whenever people go through this um, the first time and they hear the message the first time, you now had it three times already, but you still look so hopeful. You know, you're still fighting. You, you still have this thing that I don't know where you're getting it from. But it, it's simply amazing that you have all the strength to keep carry on. For anybody who just got a message that they have been diagnosed with this, what would you say to them? Um, I guess that the only thing that you truly have to hold on to is hope. You know, there's... Um, sorry. Um, when someone tells you that, you know... When someone gives you a diagnosis like that, it just turns your whole world upside down, inside out and back to front. And the only thing you can really truly grasp is with two hands is hope. Because if you don't have hope, you really don't have anything. And that's what I hold on to every day is the hope that I will be here to watch my kids grow up. They are my driving force, honestly. If it wasn't for them, I honestly don't know where I'd be. Um, but you just, you get up every day, you put one foot in front of the other and you just hold on to that hope with two hands and, you know, you do what it takes to get through another day. Yeah. Thank you so much for that, Danielle. Um, how is it for you, Devon, hearing all of that? Ooh, um, <laughs> yeah, it's it's a it's a lot. Uh, my heart just feels for you. I just can't even. <laughs> we had um, an episode a couple of weeks ago where we actually spoke about Devin having a diagnosis too. Um, your story is, is a bit different though, but I yeah I see your emotion. I see yeah, hard that is for you. Well, I mean, it's just you know, it's one of those things that. So crazy. I can't even imagine hearing, hearing that diagnosis multiple times. I, I can't, I can't go there. Um, I was diagnosed in November and we caught it early. I was very fortunate, but um, I just, I can't imagine having kids and, and having to deal with that. You know, it's just, uh, I'm just, I'm, I'm sending so many prayers your way, Daniel, seriously, like you're so strong and I'm, I'm just honored to get to know you for real. Thank you. Thank you. We are absolutely honored to have you on the podcast. That's a lot of courage to share your story. It's not easy speaking about it. I mean, we saw it. We all got emotional hearing yeah. you emotional. Um, 
what is what are the next steps for you now um so i go back in a few weeks and i have some more scans and um i have a, a ct scan or a cat scan and um some more blood tests and um we will go from there to see if the treatment that i'm having at the moment is working if it's not working we will move on to something different and hope that that works and you know once again we're back to the the hope the hope that gets you through every day yeah. so you know it's a bit of a hard slog when i'm on my own and i've got the two kids you know because some days i i don't want to get out of bed because i'm too sick or i'm too mm. sore and um you know but if i don't who who, who else is going to do it you know and like i said i'm extremely lucky to have amazing supportive friends and family but if I don't, you know, no one does it like mum does it. No yeah. one makes you, your sandwiches for school like mum makes them or no one makes your strawberry milk the same as mum. So, you know, I've got to be mum because there's nobody else here to be mum. Yeah. And, um, you know, my mum my and dad and my brother and sister-in-law, they all have jobs and commitments that they've got to you know, they've got to see through. So some days it is just me. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like it would be different for you if you would not have the kids? Um, yeah, I think so. Um, and not to say that I wouldn't still, obviously I'd still fight for my life and to be here, but they give me reason. Mm-hmm. They give me drive. They, I have to be here, you know. Yeah. I have to be here for for her first period or, you know, her first baby, you know, because if I'm not here, who's going to do it? You know, I, yeah, I have to be here yeah. because there's just so many things that only a mum can, a mum can do. And you will be because you're a freaking warrior. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. You have showcased so much strength in, you know, in showing your emotion, in talking about your kids, in talking about what you've gone through, that that on its own, it's so encouraging for people who might have been going through something smaller or bigger. But the mere fact that, you know, you have showcased that you can carry on, this thing has not flattened you. Um, it could have, it didn't. You haven't just had the cancer to deal with. You had a husband that had, you know, to leave and and the divorce and stuff. All of those things are heavy, heavy things that usually drains our souls and you showcase. And don't ever be scared, you know, to show your emotion because it just shows how strong you really are. Um, and, And it shows that you are a survivor through what you have gone through. So regardless of the times that you need to cry, cry. And yeah. if it's strangers asking you about it and you have to cry in front of them, it does not make you weak. It just shows us how incredibly, incredibly amazing you are. So I want to thank you for that today. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for talking to us. It's an honor to meet you. Oh, it's an honor to be here. <laughs> I'm just going to set this out. I want us to do another episode in a year and you're going to sit there and you're going to tell us how you made it through it yeah we will keep you in place and we will you know ask that you get surrounded by love and strength through this period 
and we have faith that you will definitely kick this. Thank you. You're going to kick its butt. Definitely. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, guys, that was another heavy one. Thank you so much for listening, for joining. We see you in the next one. Bye, guys. Bye. 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 Bye.